most people at their job do want to do a good job. They just are frustrated with the boss they work for or the processes they're in. And so if we start to empower people, it will be more fun for you at work. If you actually got stuff done, if it didn't take an act of Congress to make a decision, if it wasn't so frustrated with it, if you could have the freedom to speak up because you're gonna do things, people would like that. That would make work more fun. We have to teach them what it looks like to live in a world of accountability so that they want to do it. Welcome to Real Leadership, the podcast that cuts through the noise to focus on leaders who make, move, and process things in the real economy. Together, we'll discover the strategies and hard-earned lessons from pragmatic, gutsy leaders who operate in a world that is more stake than it is sizzle. Right here, we dive into their stories, challenges, and triumphs to go beneath the surface to the very heart of leadership in the real economy. I'm your host, Jim Weaver, Chief Operating Officer of the Owner Group, where we believe that real leadership does indeed matter. Let's go. Understanding your labor market is crucial for successful recruitment. Onan Staffing's Recruitment Strategy Guide provides insights specific to your geographic location and the positions you're hiring for. Our Recruitment Strategy Guide delivers a clear snapshot of your labor market and actionable intel to tackle market-specific challenges. With Onan's expertise, we help you navigate and win in your competitive landscape. Empower your recruiting process with the insights you need. Learn more about Onan's Recruitment Strategy Guide at onanstaffing.com backward slash strategy. Today, I'm talking with Robert Hunt from Frisco, Texas. Robert is a little different kind of guest. He's an executive coach and a developer of leaders. And he's also the co-author of a great book called Nobody Cares Until You Do. Uh, the book is a call to live beyond blame, excuses, and doubts that hold us back. The book provides a path from victimhood to victory and really has practical advice that speaks to the readers regardless of where they're at on their journey up Accountability Mountain, as Robert calls it. Robert's professional roots are in sales and marketing. His passion for leadership and nurturing others led him to found the Renaissance Executive Forums in Dallas-Fort Worth in 2013. REF is a CEO peer group that meets monthly to facilitate personal and professional growth. Robert also provides executive coaching and leadership development sessions. Welcome, Robert. Thank you. How are you doing today? That sounded like I just graduated high school with my squeaky voice there. I'm doing awesome. <laughs> well, you're excited, so that's good. I am excited. I am too. Hey, I, I finished up your book uh, last weekend. Awesome. It was a great read. Um, you know, but writing a book is a serious undertaking. Oh, man. So... Why, what compelled you to write this book? Why write this book? My friend Salem Thine, Salem Thine and I have been talking about the concepts of accountability for a long time. He's actually a member of our CEO groups. And uh -huh. he shared with me the accountability ladder, which was, it's been around a long time, people have heard of that. And we've been talking about how do we get our teams to buy into this concept of accountability. And then we kept trying to uh, do things with it and communicate it, and he said, we should write a book. So we used to spend quite a bit of time outlining it and coming up with ideas. We just knew we had to tell this story. It was about the same time that uh, when Trump was in office and everybody was mad at everybody, 
and it, you know, the social media was ugly. And it's not like the old days where if you disagree, you just say, well, you're stupid, you're stupid, and then let's go back and have a beer and get it over with. Yeah. Now, if you don't like agree with me, I hate you and I take you out of my life. And it's just, it was so dumb. And so we thought we've got to write a book where people stop blaming the world for their, their junk and they own it. So we knew we'd never get it done because we both run our own companies and he actually was running two at the time. And so we decided we'd hire a publisher and a ghostwriter and they we are the co-authors because we didn't want to do the work. Like any yeah. good business leader, you delegate. And <laughs> if you know that you're not good at something, you find someone who's better at it and you let them yeah. do their job. And so we outlined it, came up with all the stories and she just connected us. She had a wonderful job and uh, we got a book. Okay. So I like to ask um, leaders, what's one attribute or one trait they would instill in all their employees if they could. I have a feeling I know what the answer uh, <laughs> that you would give to that is, but uh, just humor me. What, what is it accountability? Yeah, what, what a small world. I think even if I hadn't written a book, I would still say that, because for all my life, I grew up in a time where my parents knew accountability. But in my generation, it seemed like there was always an easy way out. And we've become a society where the government steps in and does a lot of stuff, whether you want it or not. And we give lots of outs for things and we we afford the opportunity to blame and make excuses for stuff. And I, I've just got to a place in my life where I find more satisfaction in being in control of my own destiny. And if you're a victim, everyone else controls you. But if you're gonna live a victorious life, you own it. Now, if it's screwed up, you can fix it, but you own it. And so I think having accountability is, is something that I'd want our teams to own better. And a lot of teams give the false version of accountability, which is responsibility. And when you're responsible mm. to do something, you do something, you do a thing. I called the customer responsible. Ah. Accountable is they didn't answer, so I drove over and knocked on the door and got it fixed. Oh, yeah. And in the book, Salem tells a story about having the machine down in, in, in England, and they needed a part, and it was gonna be six days or something to get the part over, and every day they lost something like $70,000 in productivity. And the, the purchasing person said, hey, I got the part ordered. We can get it in seven days. And they were all really happy because he did something. But they weren't yeah. owning it. I mean, if it was your money, would you want to lose $350,000 while you waited for a part? And so he just says, well, where's, where do we get these things? from?" Well, it's in Scotland. Isn't that like eight hours away? Can't we just drive there? Now, see, Salem owned it. He owned yeah. the responsibility for the outcome. They just were responsible for something to be done. He was accountable for the result of the business and he saw it differently. So I want people to say, I not only do something, I own the result. How do you get your team to come along on that, to think that way? What advice have you, what advice would you give business leaders? That is a frustration, That's I remember that story, it's a great story and I could relate to it. How do you get your team to come along on this, do you think? I think because at some point they start to look around and say, I'm tired of being a victim of the circumstances. If you're an employee and you work for a bad boss and you go to work and you hate your job every day, but you stay there, you play the victim role. There's a lot of options. If you have a team that's dysfunctional and you don't address it, it's a miserable team to be a part of. There's a lot of options. But instead people complain or they just do workarounds or they become bitter themselves, that's not accountability. So when people start to see the tools that will allow them to be accountable and actually enjoy life, because isn't it more fun to be able to do things the way you wanna get them done, to own it and not be stepped on by everyone and everything, and that's what victims act like. I have a bad boss, well quit. 
or talk to that boss or learn what makes them mad at you or there's a thousand options but instead we just blame or complain or uh, make excuses and do work around and that's not living the life you really want okay that applies to me you know application but how do you get <laughs> how do you get a team to be accountable or can you no, you can't hold anyone accountable. There's a phrase we say as leaders a lot of time, I'm gonna hold my team accountable. Well, you really mm -hmm. can't. Because if I ask you, hey, did you do that? You could lie. Mm -hmm. And if I tell you to do it and you don't do it, am I gonna fire you every time you don't do something? So there really isn't this ability. And if I do fire you, then I, so you've left. You're no longer accountable either way. You're, now you're just gone. So there's not an easy solution to fire everybody every time something doesn't go right. You have to teach them the desire that your life is better when you own it. You're not frustrated trying to work with the team because most people at their job do want to do a good job. They just are frustrated with the boss they work for or the processes they're in. And so if we start to empower people, it will be more fun for you at work if you actually got stuff done, if it didn't take an act of Congress to make a decision, if it wasn't so frustrated with it, if you could have the freedom to speak up because you're gonna do things, people would like that. That would make work more fun. We have to teach them what it looks like to live in a world of accountability so that they want to do it. Land top technical and professional talent with Focus. Focus specializes in direct hire and contract placements, connecting you to exceptional candidates in IT, engineering, management, and more. Elevate your team with Focus. Visit getinfocus.com. Yeah, that's good. I have a rant that I go on. I, I just talk about, like, we're going to do the time. 40 to 50 hours a week for 40 to 50 years of our life, why not, why not be really good? Yeah. You know, and, and this whole accountability, why not, you know, why not own it? Uh, I think that is a compelling, I don't know, vision to, vision to cast. That's good, man. Um, you were, you know, looking at your resume, you had a good, like a really nice VP level sales and marketing career going. And it looks like you made a you know you made a pretty mm -hmm. uh, deliberate turn in your career. I did. Um, what what got you to that point that you made that made that switch? Because most people would that's a risky move. Most people would probably stay yeah. the course and not follow what I assume was your was your dream. So what led you to that that tipping point of of making the switch? You know, and I did that when I was fifty years old. So if you think you're too old to change something, you're not. And so when I was 50, I ran into the guy who owned the franchise here in the Dallas area, and he was telling me what he does. And, and I, I, as I listened to him tell the stories, I said, so, so people pay you to help them and to care about them? That's like a thing? And uh, it, was, it was the perfect job for me because I had learned a few years before that, I read a book by Cheryl Batchelder called Dare to Serve Leadership. And she was the CEO of Popeye's Chicken and turned it around, mm -hmm, did a phenomenal mm -hmm. job. And in that book, she tells you how to define your personal purpose. And I did. I did the exercise and I defined it. And I came up with my purpose is to help people remove obstacles that keep them from being their best. So when I heard there was a job to do that, I thought, oh my gosh, I can live out my purpose in my job. I had to go. And so I immediately said, I want to sign up. I want to be part of this. I want to learn how to do it. Got trained on how to facilitate and lead groups. And by the end of the next year, I had my first group. Wow. So uh, tell the, the listeners what Renaissance Executive Forum is, REF. That's your 
that's your uh, yeah. Your company. It's a CEO peer group, and so I'm part of a franchise that's international, okay. and uh, they do this all around the world. And basically, the idea is group learning. It's like if you've ever been a part of the of a peer situation where you're you're influenced by your peers. And so if you have a board, that's peers. You bring in people, if you have a board, you bring in people who are hopefully smarter than you and have success and succeed in doing things. And they can add to your knowledge and wisdom. They can challenge you and, and redirect you and encourage and help you. That's what a board does. But your buddies, your buddies can be an influence on you, but not always in a good way. Mm-hmm. You think about how many dumb decisions you made with your friends growing up in life and all that. You want to surround yourself with people who have character, people who will help you be the best version of yourself. So my job is to find leaders who are passionate about what they do and that they will be willing to come together and be radically transparent and open with one another so that we can say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm frustrated with this. I have a problem. And then because you're you're sharing that, then the group can then give you their experiences of what they've done and they can sharpen you by sharing what they've gone through we don't give each other the opinion we share our experiences because experiences are never wrong opinions are often wrong right right. and the beauty of group learning is that we just ask you enough questions and share our experiences and you self-discover what you want to do and then you own it and so it's a pretty cool process it's all private it's the same people every month coming together challenging each other learning from each other sometimes we've uh, need to kick you in the pants and sometimes you need a hug but the ceos carry a, a tremendous burden that no one else really understands they go to bed and wake up with these things in their head that they're already feeling and, and everyone else just has a job. The final decision maker is haunted by stuff that no one will ever understand unless they have that same Yeah, it's a lonely it's a lonely spot. Yeah. It can be. It, it, it is, I mean, and when we come together, and not everyone's dealing with the same problem, but I'd rather learn from your problem than have to learn from my problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also do uh, executive coaching so you have the combination of uh, these CEO groups and executive coaching that you're doing. So what are the biggest challenges you see executive leadership wrestling with uh, over the last couple of years here? Well, you know, one of the reasons I do coaching is because everybody should have a coach. A coach is that mm-hmm. person who you can talk to privately about stuff and really be vulnerable and, and transparent in, in, in a much deeper way than you can the groups. But the things that I've seen people go through in the last three years have been just so tough. We survived COVID, which was just weird. And then we tooled up and survived 21, which was just like the government gave a lot of money so you could spend stuff, but you didn't know what you could do. And then you had money, but you couldn't buy anything because there was inventory shortage. Yeah. (laughs) And then 22 came along and we we got through the the crunch with employees and with supplies, but it was still resettling into what prices are what and how can we go to market with it and what things are left. 23, man, everyone's exhausted. If I had to use one word to describe it, they're just exhausted and burned out. And and I think that's the problem we're facing now is you don't even recognize how tired you are. Mm. But we make decisions in exhausted mode all the time. Another topic I'm real passionate about is margin, where you create room in your life to avoid overload. But I think we've run on overload for so many years, we don't even know that we're in overload anymore. So then when it gets really, really bad, like is what we've gone through and where we are today, you're in dangerous decision-making mode. Mm. You're fatigued, you're exhausted, in some cases you're mentally hurt, and yet you show up at work and you're supposed to make these great decisions every day? I mean, it's just tough. We've been uh, partnering with a company called The Identity Fund that provides counseling services because uh, we need support, we need real help from professionals. 
and my clients are using their services and, and they're getting help and they're sitting and having real professional discussions because it's a beat down and we need someone who's going to care for us and encourage us to be our best when we're just tired. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you had brought up this uh, this idea of, of margin and that was something you had changed your mind on uh, in recent years. So expand on that a little bit. I think that's an interesting uh, interesting idea, and I think it's something that we can overlook in in our go 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 uh, lifestyle. Yeah, I, I margin set me on the journey that led me to write. Nobody cares because I I too, like most people, have just got used to living in overload, and one of my overloads was my finances. Mm-hmm. And, and the book Margin puts uh, these this awareness of four buckets: time, finances, health, and and emotions. And in those four buckets, you don't really know how much things are overloaded until you usually go past it. So I can look at my calendar and I can say, I have no time. Look at my calendar, it's ridiculous. And you say, let's go to lunch. Yeah, November 15th, give me a call. And yeah. we, we live like this, and that's normal. Yeah. But then after a while, because it's always so full, we get used to it and then we have these spikes that go over and we, we run in a deficit and we're making really bad choices. And I had allowed myself to get into really serious debt. The book talks about that. Yes. And it affected my decision-making process on how I run my business. I was deathly a fear of losing clients. So I wouldn't say something to someone on fear that maybe I'd lose them because I'd offend them or challenge them and they'd get mm. mad and leave. Mm. So mm. I would pull my punches in cases. Mm. And I'd take sometimes jobs and client situations that weren't great, but I wanted the money because I was living in a, in a deficit mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And so all these things, they pour into each other. We need to create a life that has some room for the unexpected to happen because it always happens. And I can never measure my emotion. I can measure my time. I can measure my money. I can cheat my money. I can get more debt and go over the load. Right. But for a while. <laughs> yeah, for a while. And, and for most of America, a long while. Because yeah. most of America is living ch- paycheck to paycheck and they're already yeah. overextended. And then the last one is your health. You think, no big deal. I'll just get three hours of sleep tonight. I'll get you know five hours. And, and after a couple of days, you're just so tired. But you don't even notice anymore because you just show up and do the work. But you're living on, on you could, it's the same thing as being drunk. The way right, the effect right. on your brain, you, you might as well yeah. drink and go to work. And you, <laughs> yeah, some yeah. people do, I think, but there's nothing yeah. that you would never do that. That's just foolishness. But you get lack yeah. of sleep, you carry a lot of stress, you're not healthy, you overdose on on alcohol or smoking or television or whatever feeds your brain and helps you to unplug at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. But you're exhausted. So then the emotional bucket is getting smaller and smaller. There's no room, and then anything that happens at all, you just lose it. Yeah. So I think we need to be proactive in creating a world of margin in our lives. Yeah. You can learn more about I, that on margindfw.com, by the way. I, oh, I cool. I got the, the domain that, so we can direct people to that article. So is that a, that was an article? Yeah, I wrote it on LinkedIn. It's got a video connected to it and it's okay. margindfw.com and it, the video that explains it. And I'm, I'm very passionate about that. I get speaking opportunities on this topic all the time. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll link out to that in the show notes. That's cool. great. Thank That's you. a great topic. I try to, um, yeah, I start with the question of, okay, what do I need to do? How do I need to structure my time, my life, so that I show up the way I need to show up? And sometimes working the extra 10 hours is actually less productive. It is. <laughs> you know? It is. And he actually talks about in the book that as you go up in productivity, stress increases. And there's this magical point where A and B hit where you are the most productive with the with the most stress, mm. and that's a great place to stop. Mm. But we just keep going. And at that point, where our productivity goes down, and we're still adding stress. Uh-huh. So you're beating yourself up for less productivity. What you should do is stop, 
and go play with your kids or go read a book or go to the gym or do anything that feeds your soul and you can start over again and be fresh the next day. But instead, you work long hours, you come home, put the kids to bed, go back to the computer and try and somehow crank out good work at 10 o'clock at night after a stressful day and two bourbons, come on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's, well, that's, yeah, that's a, that is a picture that I'm sure resonates with folks. Um, In your book, you talk about satisfaction and happiness kind of as the pinnacle of what you're you're trying to achieve with with your life and what you're doing and and uh there are a lot of accomplished leaders and entrepreneurs that are not happy and not satisfied so what do you think is typically going on there what are the what are some of the things you've seen uh, are leading to that dissatisfaction, that lack of, of happiness when you've got a high achiever, but mm. they're miserable. And they're, and they're usually only measuring the things that they're proud of. Mm. If I say, hey, how's things going? You say, it's excellent, I'm doing excellent. But you're only saying that because your company finally hit $50 million a year in revenue. Mm. But I, you should look at all the buckets of your life. How's your marriage? How's your health? How's your kids? How's your time with God? You know, having a relationship with God is just as important as work because it's part of who we are. But for some reason, we become weird about it. Don't talk about God. And then tuck it over here. And so five days a week, you have to somehow hide God. And there's this thing that's part of you that you don't take to work all day. It'd be like me denying I'm married when I go to work. Oh, I, don't, I don't have a wife. Right. I mean, that's right. just nonsense. And so we just have mm. to stuff everything down just to say that we're having success in one area. Everything has to be above zero to be able to say you're actually having a good life. Mm-hmm. If you're really rich but you have no friends, what would that be like? Right. So I think as we look at people and how they can find satisfaction, we're, we're not saying that if you follow the principles of accountability, you're gonna have ultimate joy. But we already know where we're not satisfied if we really step back and take a look at it. And all I'm encouraging people to do is just own it enough to make it to where you're having the life you want. I may not be the richest guy I know. I may not have the most successful business, but I wanna have a good marriage and I wanna have fun and I wanna have time with my kids and friendships. And so all these things should be considered in the light of what you really want your life to be like. I think we're spent a lot more time just trying to manage the one we ended up with instead of chasing the one we really want. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I think that I'm, I definitely am better at work. If, if I'm not dialed in with my wife, if I'm not anchored spiritually, if I haven't gotten sleep or I'm not, feel like I'm getting out of shape, I am not as good at work. It's integrated. Yeah. I I don't think it's sustainable long term if we don't have, all of those elements work. They feed each other when we do it the right way. And you can feel it. If, if I go to work and I've had a fight with Kathy, I'm in my car driving away going, this day sucks. I haven't gone here yes. yet. And I already don't want to do anything. Uh-huh. And I know I got to come home and deal with it. So that haunts me all day. And it was it was 99% of the chance it's my fault because I, right, I right, always yeah, say the I wrong you. thing. I have a great wife. And so if I, if I leave that day, man, I just don't have my game on. And then what if mom's in the hospital? What if you've got a looming bill that's coming up in a week? What if your kid's struggling with drugs? All this stuff that goes on and somehow you're supposed to show up at work and just like, oh, nothing's wrong, everything's good. And you can pretend all you want, but it's there. Yeah. It's like a machine that's got a leaky valve and it's got a, one of the pistons that's stuck and, the, and things are clogged. It still runs, you're still making stuff, but it's about to explode. 
And we get that way, and yet we've done it for so long, we don't know the difference. We're just used to it until you actually get to where everything fails at the same time, and then it's ugly. Yeah. Facing sudden growth or limited by traditional financing? Momentum Capital Funding empowers businesses with real-time cash flow through AR Factory. Get the funding you need and fuel your success. Visit MomentumCapitalFunding.com to learn more. Um, I've heard the advice a lot. You, you have the, uh, the chapter on the boulder, the big boulder. That's one of the, that you got to get around in the climb up uh, accountability mountain. And I've heard a lot of people give the advice, you know, never quit. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that sometimes quitting <laughs> is the wise choice. Like there's a time when, you know, so, so as a coach, how do you guide people through the process of deciding whether to whether or not to let go of a dream or a particular ambition? How do you think about that? How do you guide somebody through that? That's the kind of stuff we talk about in our group. So I really do encourage people to be in a group somewhere of people you respect that you, you can listen to and, and share your heart and let them give you wisdom. But sometimes chasing a dream is, is not as valuable as the other dream you have. And I have a, I had a client a, a year or two ago talked about rapid growth they were chasing and everything was focused on the business until their son got a problem with drugs. And then all of a sudden this quest that he was on just wasn't as important. And so I, I think you just have to choose the time where sometimes we need to redirect. So the word quit sounds so harsh, but mm-hmm. when you when you're chasing something and it's not working, all wise leaders need to evaluate the process and say, is this still the best choice? Do we need to go in a different direction? But if your pride is keeping you from ever using the word quit, then just say, redirect my efforts. Because <laughs> there's a lot of things we can do with our life, but we only have a certain amount of time. There's only 24 hours in a day, and if you want to spin it, going after something you know isn't going to work, that's foolishness. We surround yeah. ourselves with people who give us wise counsel, we continually reevaluate. It's that agile mindset where you go, do something, try, evaluate it, adjust, go do it again. And I think at some point you need to cut bait and go, this isn't what I want to do. That's why we change the analogy from a mountain to from a ladder to a mountain. Because in yeah. climbing a mountain, you might say, I'm going to set up base camp here for a while and figure out what I'm doing. And then I can see if I'm ready to take that next step. Or you can get off the mountain and go to another mountain. But there would only be one ladder, and we didn't like the analogy, so the mountain was what we could relate to better. Yeah, I really like the the mountain metaphor, and it's sort of like you 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 get to the the next stop, and it's kind of like a vista. You can look out, see mm-hmm. where you've come, and then you move on. And it it uh, there's always that desire to get to the next level. I, I think that's a great a great metaphor as opposed to the the ladder. I I, I like it for sure. What you talked about the big picture, you know, culturally, how we are really a society that does a lot of blaming, mm-hmm. not a lot of accountability. How did we get here? And how do we reverse the trend? Yeah, we got here over years and years of building a society that made it easy for us to not have to try. And and with good intentions, I believe, there's a lot of people who would want to look out for other people and say, well, let, let us help you. And, and that's good. That's That's proper. But at some point, we make it easy for people to not take any ownership on something. And we give people the easy way out, and so they don't have to put the effort in. And so somewhere between 
not helping anyone being a cold fish and and be doing so much that you empower people to be dependent on someone else is where we should end up. I don't know how to do that. But I know that the process for us to go back to being a society where we own our own junk is just for us to say, look at your life. Are you satisfied? And if you're not, what are you willing to do about it? And we say when the pain of where you are is worse than the pain of where you have to go, you'll change. And, but people don't stop and really look at their lives. They just go, well, I'm making minimum payments on my credit card, so I guess I'm, ha- I'm okay. And that sounds great till you lose your job, and then you can't make minimum payments on your credit card, which then leads to fights, and then your marriage, which was already struggling, now it gets worse, and you take a bunch of jobs so you're never home with the kids. So I just want people to own their life and drive their own life and get the results they want. But I think we're just on that treadmill so much that we're not taking the time to look. That's why we put the assessment in the book. Stop. Declare to yourself, what do I want my life to look like? I don't think people are doing that. That's the first step. Take a satisfaction assessment. You can go to the website, do it on there, it's private. Download your own copy and then declare to yourself, honestly, I don't like this. Great, now what are you gonna do about it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way we're gonna turn things around again is that we're not spending our time telling each other how to live, but if we just owned our own junk, it'd be a very different world. And the idea of trying to impact the world or change the world or to speak out on some injustice in the world when I don't have my act together is kind of silly. Yeah, it's comical. You know? And I, it, we're very comfortable to point out everyone else's issues, but it really does start with you. My kid's going to grow up to be a little mini version of me. He's going to watch me and he's going to be like me. So if I don't own it, if I don't follow it and live it out, I'm going to get what I'm going to get. And I think at the very least, uh, to have satisfaction that you're living the life you really want, it just has to be intentional. It isn't that hard. We just become lazy. We'll just take whatever's in front of us, and then we'll bitch and moan about it. Mm -hmm. And that's just worse. I think the stress of having to make changes is is less painful than living a long life of sitting like you're under someone's thumb and just miserable yeah yeah so looking back at your your life you're obviously a very uh circumspect guy um what's a what's a favorite failure that you had that um maybe was a turning point for you or that's a really uh, weird statement favorite failure my favorite failure i love the choice of those words golly something that that Maybe sent you in another direction, taught you a uh, a great lesson. Yeah, I I, I think I, I failed to to own my journey when it came to my finances. Every year we wouldn't have enough money to live the way we wanted to live, so we just put it on a credit card, and then I had to keep that current to a certain level, so I just wouldn't pay my taxes. And then uh, the government gives businesses a little bit of an IOU, and you can make payments. and And I think I just kept kicking the can down the line. You know, your business should live according to the revenue it generates. If you have a small business, live like it's a small business. Mm-hmm. And if you're not saving money and putting away for things to go wrong, you're being foolish. And so I didn't do a reality check after the third, fourth, or fifth year. I thought, hey, I'm not making the kind of money I need to have to live in this house. I could have cut bait years ago. Yeah. But because of pride and because I felt a bit of a failure that I wasn't giving my family the life that I wanted to give them. Because yeah. even though they were in a nice house, we weren't doing the vacations our friends were doing and we weren't having the stuff. 
which I'm not really into stuff, but I do always feel like I want to be a good dad and give my kids things. Sure. And sure. So Absolutely. there's a little bit of a guilt trip going on. So yeah. I would just continue to spend checks I didn't have and and kick the can down the road. And I and then eventually I had to own it, and that's where we got in 2019. But I think I that deficit mindset affected all my decisions, and my wife could feel my stress, and I would get cranky about simple things that would cost money that because I was already so stressed about the money. So I, th I think yeah. if I had pulled the plug early on, I think they would. we would have had a lot nicer years than those middle years there. My wife and I started out our marriage in, we got pretty deep in debt, especially for the low income we were at. So we kind of learned that lesson early and really had to struggle through that. But then later on started doing well and we wanted to buy a lake house. So we bought the lake house, it was a dream and and we bought one within our means, which meant it was kind of an old <laughs> crappy lake house. <laughs> and and it was about an hour and 15 minutes away. And so we can't get, you know, we took the old boat that came with the house and that was always breaking down and we had plumbing issues. And then we're like, well, we should, maybe we should get some renters in there, you know, offset this, we could put it on Airbnb. So we did that and then there wasn't good infrastructure around, so then we have to go to, to support the house. Like, you couldn't even pay anybody, it was so rural to go, you know, do, so then we'd have to go down, and this vacation home became just a yeah. pain. Yeah. And finally, after four years <laughs> of, uh, you know, just, uh, and we had some good times down there, we definitely did, but I was just. We could have had that renting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And, and that's a great example where you, that's a good example where you decide to quit. Yes. Because you go, this isn't smart. Right. And I don't know how you can ever make great decisions like that in a void. You have to surround yourself with people who you can tell stuff and go, Why are you doing that, man? And <laughs> and they'll help talk you out of it or talk you through it. Again, back to the reason why we have these CEO groups. In your mind you're like this is working out. We're doing this. We're going to fix it up. And after year one and after year two and after year three. But if you had told someone with all transparency, here's what I do. Here's how I spend my weekends. I come back exhausted because I spent the whole week trying to fix the plumbing. And I didn't go and spend fun in the lake. I worked at the lake. Yeah. And if, if you told them all that. And so they would yeah. challenge you, dude, is that what you really want? We never tell each other what to do. But we ask, is that what you want? And if you're being honest, you have mm. friends who can go, that doesn't sound like you're doing what you want. Mm. And we need people like that who can see past our emotion. Our emotions lie to us so much. And so we get and we get the pride going and we get, this is gonna be great. And I see the same kind of scenario with people who say, I'm gonna buy this company, this is gonna be great. And they start outlining it. We're like, that's a dog, don't touch that. What are you talking about? Do you not see all these red flags? But, yeah. but if they hadn't told us, there was so much emotion. They were buying out their competitor. They're gonna have a bigger name than they were before. This is gonna put them in two states. Mm -hmm. Whatever the thing was, and the ego was just going. Yes. And having people who know you and know that you wanna spend more time being with your kids and relaxing and avoiding mental breakdown can challenge you because you've yes. invited them in. Yes, that's good. That's really good. You do. Uh, you have other groups that are not just for top level executives as well, right? Yeah, I have a, a, a group for the trusted advisors, and uh, Thomas is in that group with us. Yes, he's yeah, awesome. Yeah, he's our, our BDM or our, our area BDM down in DFW. Yeah, yeah, he's a great, great guy. And uh, we have another group we just started for HR leaders that we just started last month, and that's unique. I have always avoided vertical groups, 
because mm. I'm a marketing guy. I decided to do a marketing group. But the mm. problem with that is that these people tend to be where they, their boss won't let them go. And so I want to have as much impact and change in people's lives as I can. So I start at the top because you can let yourself go. And yeah. if you work for someone else, they can say, no, you can't take time. Oh, we got a problem here. Don't go to that. And so yeah. I've always hesitated with it. But for some reason, in the last year, I've just been seeing the HR people in my world have such a beat down right now. Can you imagine being an HR manager and going through COVID? Yeah. And then going through all the ramifications that came after. I mean, we thought diversity and inclusion was tough. And all the things they've had to go through. But they're just beat up. And I just felt like I need to run a group for HR people. Yeah, so we started last month, had uh, eight people at the first meeting, which is unheard of, and four people waiting to get into the group. They'll, they'll join us next month. And so I, I don't know where this will go, but I just feel like I have a skill and I have a passion and I'm gonna do whatever God brings my way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can, uh, I can attest uh, having a coach. Uh, I, I'm not part of a group like that, uh, but I can see the value and uh, well, actually, this is kind of my group, the podcast. I'm trying to develop that those relationships through this. That's one of my objectives with doing this. Um, but I have a, a coach, and I agree. It's it's really nice to have somebody who you can. Is we, we have to wear a mask? At yeah, work. just have to. Yeah. Um, it, and there are just some things I can't tell the partners here that I'm experiencing. There's things I can't tell the folks that report to me here, but I can talk to my coach about it. And same thing with these uh, mastermind groups or the, uh, the uh, peer groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I definitely see huge value in that. So that's uh, great you're doing it. And I know you said mask, but I think you're a genuine enough guy just from the time we spent together. I don't think you, you need to wear a mask. I think that we do need to do some things so our employees don't freak out because they, they're not allowed to know everything. Right, right. But I think, because uh, like if I'm selling the company or what someone makes for a living versus what they make, there's some things that, that are common sense. But at the end of the day, the more transparent we are, the more we build trust with our employees because they know more than you think they know. Mm-hmm. And if we wear a mask, they usually see through it, and then they wonder, what else is he lying to me about? Yeah, yeah. I just did a session on how to build trust with a company in Ennis yesterday, and we spent the whole morning talking about transparency, because when you think you're putting on a good face and they see past it, they don't trust you anymore. And so it's okay to say, I can't really talk about the details, but I wanna let you guys know I'm really sad today. Mm. And that's being real. I don't have mm-hmm. to go into the fact that Susie gave notice she's leaving and we're, we're going to have to find a new sales manager. It, it comes down to they see something's going on. And by you being real, you're encouraging them to be real. Mm-hmm. And when they're real, they can get help. And we don't have a bunch of people walking around with a big giant bag of crap over their shoulder. But we actually allow them to dump it out once in a while and get encouragement and help from the people they spend eight to ten hours a day with. I think that is a cool environment to work at. That's a great place to to land thanks robert that was wonderful thank you um okay so before we go uh would you let we're gonna put things in the show notes but would you let folks know how to get your book um how to find out about your ref groups and anything else you want to put out there so where can people find you thank you we have a website called nobodycaresbook.com and i prefer people buy it from me because i make more money yeah, yeah. 
So let's be honest. <laughs> but it also <laughs> it also comes with a bookmark and a sticker. So I know that's a big selling point. Yeah. Um, we want people to do it, the, read the book the right way. And as after we wrote it, we found that there were some things that we didn't emphasize. Like you must take the satisfaction assessment. If you don't, the rest of the book misses some of the punch. Mm. So we put that in there. So nobodycaresbook.com, and there's it's a community we're trying to build where people come in and tell their stories. And some of your employees have actually contributed to our website by telling their stories on our website. And we wanna encourage other people to feel emboldened by seeing other people who are walking this journey and be encouraged to be accountable. So that's the book. We're on all kinds of social media things, LinkedIn and Facebook and all that good stuff. Um, me, I'm on LinkedIn, and, and my business is REF Dallas, like Renaissance Executive Forums Dallas.com. And you can find us there and learn about our CPO groups. Very good. Thank you. All right, Robert. Thank you so much. This was fun. Likewise. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Okay, until next time, keep it real. Thank you for listening. This podcast was powered by Owner a family of staffing companies providing real staffing solutions to manufacturing, logistics, and food processing companies across the United States of America. To get in touch or learn more about partnering with an Ona Group company, visit us at www.onagroup.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.